Here on the Appalachian homestead, ancient mountains surround us. If you listen closely, you can hear the whispers of ancestral wisdom echoing through the peaks and valleys that surround us. If you're new to the Appalachian Homestead podcast, you can find us on Instagram at the Appalachian Homestead, or you can find us on our website, AppalachianHomestead.org. This week on the podcast, Mark and I are going to talk about UFOs, Balloons, UFOs, UFOs, UFOs. UFOs. balloons, (laughs) the chicken feed fiasco, and vaccinating our dogs. Again, we're going to let you know, this is not a perfect podcast. There will be sounds that you don't normally hear on podcasts. Our fireplace blower blowing currently is one good example of that. You may also hear puppy dogs, dryer buzzers, or other sounds of people walking through the house or being in the room with us. That's because we live here. That means all of our people and our pets live here too. I'm Shallon. We'll be joined by my husband Mark again today. And we're going to talk about UFO balloons. The chicken feed fiasco and vaccinating our dogs. Which one do you want to start with today? Let's just go in that order, I guess. Okay, UFOs, balloons. Those are the most recent UFOs that we have dealt with and have captivated the attention of the nation and the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What do you think of the most, I shouldn't say the most recent, because the most recent was a shoot down over Canada or Alaska? Yeah. Okay. What do you think about the first balloon fiasco that happened a week or so ago? I mean, I've been told it came from a certain country. Uh, I would imagine if that other country was completely innocent and had not built balloons sometime in their past that they'd be jumping up and down a lot harder. But, I mean, they tracked it forever. They tracked it over sparsely unpopulated lands and islands and water and forest, and they let it drift and drift all the way across the continent before they took action. Now, lately, these other two that they have at least let us know about, they took action very quickly. I guess they didn't you know, care about how people rose up and didn't like stuff floating over their head. They could see it, you know. People in western, northwestern states could see it. You could see it in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, towards the end, right before it was shot down as well, which is not far from us. Hmm. Do you believe that they were actually able to successfully acquire any of our military or nuclear secrets via that balloon? Well, it was probably designed not to take a bunch of pictures like a satellite would do much better at. Probably designed to collect electronic communications, whether they had radio silence and nobody was talking, computers and servers and modems and all this stuff creates, uh, you know, signals that can be detected. And I think that's what it probably was. It was trying to detect what, you know, satellites can't get. It was more of a listening than a searching with eyes type of device. In my opinion. So when you say listening, and you know I'm not Miss Tech, for instance, I don't understand the radio telescope up by our other place. Are you talking about listening for radio waves, or are you talking and or and seeing just what type of signals are being emitted, or are you talking they're actually listening, as in tapping into information being shared? I'll, I'll go with see on that one probably both to some extent or at least that was their hope um i mean think about there's okay we have radio silence we know the balloons coming over it's like they do with satellites 
they know when certain satellites are passing over certain areas and they cover things, they move things, they hide things that they don't always do because they know when that satellite's going to be passing over. With this balloon, they knew where it's coming. They knew where it was coming from. They knew the direction it was going. It could move some, but they were tracking it. They were tracking it the whole way. So they were covering things, moving things, radio silence here and there. But what about systems? What about that security gate that wirelessly talks to the sensors that run around it? What about this or that? I mean, you you have stuff that you can't totally lock down. We're in an electronic world now, even the military. And maybe they were just passing through like, we can't uh, intercept it and, you know, decipher it. We can't do anything with it. But what frequency are they on? Just tell us what frequency they are on. We'll go back and work on deciphering that frequency better in our next test or next, you know, future space thing. Who knows? I, I, I think it was also a test of our defenses, not just capability, but um, guts to do anything. How weak or strong we are as a nation. Yeah, it was a test. How do you think we, what, do you, what grade do you think we made? Well, I think the military could and should have done something much sooner but politicians decided not to. Namely, one very, very high politician, I assume, is in charge of that type of thing. But the last two, they took other action because it didn't look good in the press, and they shot those down really quickly. Now, as we are speaking right now on Sunday afternoon, uh, an area above Lake Michigan, airspace above Lake Michigan, has been shut down. Civilian aircraft, no aircraft can go in that area right now other than the military with threat of deadly force. As of right this second. Because of a balloon. Because they haven't told why. There was those three shot down, South Carolina and the two on the other side of the continent. Montana, I believe it was, their airspace uh, picked up a, something on their radar yesterday. They couldn't tell what it was. They shut it down for a while. Aircraft went out, could not locate what was causing it. It disappeared from radar. So that was, you know, something. And now Lake Michigan, which is east of there, an area, airspace above it has been totally blacked out. Okay. And again, I don't have like the, the radar and pilot experience that you have. Can you fly so high that you fly above radar? Not necessarily, no. No, radar is just a radio wave. It's going to go. It depends on the, its strength and its focus and its abilities, but... Not necessarily, no. So there's not really a chance that this thing just went up in elevation so high that it can't be? Well, I can't say that. I don't know about capabilities. It could have exceeded capabilities. I know, you know, they bounce laser beams off the moon. I imagine it's the same kind of process if they knew where to look with their laser beam or their radar or whatever device they have. It's got to kind of know where to look. It may have moved out of where they were looking. Right, because it's a big, wide sky, and that's a kind of small object, especially if it is just a balloon. Yeah, I, I imagine they're, even the small ones, they say, are the size of two cars combined. So that's not all that little for radar. Radar can pick that up pretty easily. So what's your theory on why they've closed this airspace above? I mean, I, if it's a balloon, common sense says it's going to go east from the west, because that's how our weather pattern and winds blow is typically from west to east. What are your thoughts on what's above Lake Michigan right now? Do you think it's another balloon? I, I believe they don't know, but probably a balloon. Probably. Unless, you know, we're being contacted by people or contacted by civilizations not from here. What do you think the chances are that a civilization not from here is going to send a balloon to contact us? Above Lake Michigan? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the one over Montana, they didn't know what that was. It disappeared from radar. And now Lake Michigan, I don't know. It's real early in the game on that one, so I don't know what's going on there. So uh, I imagine they'd be out in New Mexico in their usual stomping grounds. In their usual stomping grounds, right. Yeah. So assuming that this is another Chinese balloon... This would be now the third one that we know of in the recent past couple of weeks. Why more than one if they're just testing to see what we're going to do? Because they could get blown off course. If I'm going to send up this 
object I'm going to depend a lot on. This is going to be dangerous. I'm going to send it over another country who's an adversary. I'm not going to depend on one. I'm going to send up a bunch and hope one does its job. So do you think all three of these that we know of for sure so far, and possibly now this fourth one, were they launched at the same time? Oh, there's no way to tell that from where I'm sitting <laughs> on the couch here with you. <laughs> no way to know that for sure. No. Well, but my thought was if they were, they should have all kind of come together, not a week or so apart. So in your um, meteorologist opinion there, a week apart is too big a gap for something launched on the other side of the planet to arrive. No, I just would think if they were literally all launched together at the same spot. They'd be closer together than one week getting here. They'd be closer bunched up from the other side of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess. In a balloon. So do you think then that they probably did just launch several all at the same know. time? I don't know. You know, I'm not placing a bet on it was all <laughs> joint launched at once or different times or I, I don't know. I, that's not really the important part. I know, just in my mind. Well, you need that detail for it. I don't know. <laughs> I need to know exactly how par, far apart these were when they were launched. Well, in my mind, if it was launched together, yeah, it would make sense. It was one test. But if they launched the first one, we took it down, and now they've launched three more. It's more than a test. I, I would say they were probably launched closer together, and who knows the order they were launched in and how they arrived. The point is, it's our sovereign airspace. If we put any object above another country at that level in a balloon, how would they react? How would they like that? Oh, for sure. China would, if we did that, China and Russia, there would be no more us. I, you know, I just, I, I don't understand the reasoning for it. I don't understand the rationale because how dangerous of a game it is. Um, I don't know. I was kind of hoping it was going to be, they shot it down and they, they got it and it was some college kids from Southern California had this project and they never <laughs> imagined it was going to do something like that and then they was afraid to say something. That's what I kept hoping for, but. <laughs> Do you really think it's China, or do you think it's Russia? Does it matter? Kind of. To me, it does. Okay. If it's Russia, it's a bit more concerning for me than if it's China. Go on. <laughs> because? Well, and this is just my thoughts, okay? China owns our hunt-ins. They really do. They own us in a way no other country owns us. Because Americans won't stop buying Chinese crap. Almost everything we buy here is made there. While they have a bajillion people, and they don't necessarily need us, we do make up a significant part of their economy. Their exports. They're getting our money. Plus, they technically own us because we owe them so much money they could take our whole country and there's nothing really we could say if they decided to just say okay all your money's due today or you're in default and we're taking it so my thought is china wouldn't be as big a danger because they're not going to destroy something they could use russia on the other hand is not necessarily where we get all our crap from. We don't owe them a bajillion dollars like we do China. So my thought is that Russia's more of a danger and could it possibly be from there? Very, very small chance it could be from Russia. And you said very small chance it could also be from North Korea. Could be from anywhere that the winds would carry it from. It could, you know, but Leads you right, right back over into that area, yeah. Right. It's from over in that area. Yeah. Just, I don't know, almost in my mind it would be better if it was from China. And that's just like a self, self-soothing self thing that I'm telling myself that they own us and they aren't necessarily going to destroy us because they need our land. Well, not 
to characterize anybody, but the, the politics of Russia seem a little more reckless than of China. China will push the envelope just as hard and just as far, but Russia seems a little more reckless at it. And, that's, and, and I guess that makes it seem more dangerous. Yeah. In, like, in my mind, Russia is more reckless than China. China's more calculating. They're more, they're more like chess players. Yeah, I guess. And stereotypically, you think of Russian politicians and, and people, or soldiers, I guess, not their people. They're not chess players. They're the people who get mad at the chess player and turns the table over and starts to fight. Right. That's that's exactly kind of, I guess, why I self-soothe with the idea that it would be better if it was China. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, during our pause, which we had like a two or three minute pause, Mark said something when he happened to glance at a headline that really, it just pinged. And I was like, yes. He looked and they have reopened the airspace over Lake Michigan. And he said... Somebody's messing with our radar. Do you think they're making it look like there's something there when there's not? No. 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 You mean our government saying, hey, we think something's there when there's really not? No. No, no. I'm saying, do you think China is messing with the radar to make it appear as though they're sending things that aren't necessarily there? I think the balloons in these objects are what is messing with the radar. That's what I meant. A very large one as wide as a 747 or a small one as small as two cars. Let's send up all these different size things. See what they can detect, how fast they detect them, and what they do. That's what I think. So the one that they can't find that was shot down either over Alaska or Canada, you think that was a very small one? Well, they said it was the size of two cars combined, which is much smaller than the first one that drifted across the continent. The one that drifted across the continent had equipment and stuff that was on it that was like the size of a city bus, right? Yeah, something like that or bigger. Did they say how large the other one was, the third one? They can't find it, but they said the, those two were much smaller. And then they never found or said they found anything above Lake Michigan. Well, they haven't really said that. It just happened. They didn't say they found something yet, no. But something was messing with them up there if they shut down the whole area. So one of the things that everybody seemed to be afraid of following a reel that we released that actually had been prepared much earlier. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, do you, because I said, make sure that you have your preparedness plans reviewed, your inventories of your freezers and your pantries reviewed, and that you're prepared. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, do you think they're going to nuke us? Absolutely not. They're not going to nuke us over shooting down a balloon. Over our own country. <laughs> over, yeah. Over our own country when they have violated our sovereignty. Mark made a point that a balloon is the perfect way to deliver an EMP. Well, I mean, if you shoot a intercontinental or a large type missile from another country towards us we have satellites we have all this stuff tracking it and defenses and all this stuff because we don't know that it's just an mp it's going to be a nuke that's going to detonate high in the atmosphere instead of low still a nuke still headed for us. so they they see that punch coming but you float one over here on a balloon it seems to startle or i don't know not startle it seems to I don't know. It, it's odd, their reaction to it. Let's let it drift all the way across the country or let's shoot it in as soon as we hear from it. I don't understand the difference in those two, and maybe that's what the test is, is, you know. Right. There's a lot of people who are extremely worried about an EMP. But for the everyday person, they, if they are prepared with food and things, it is going to be extremely inconvenient for a very long time. But unless you need mechanical equipment of some type to survive, like you're on a vent or whatever, for the most part, do you feel like an EMP is a survivable thing? 
It is, but I think we need to also realize that deep freezers probably have a circuit in them that can be fried. Absolutely. And their grid would be fried anyway. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not just people on vents. Your refrigerator's not going to work after that. Your stove probably isn't going to work after that. It may ignite with gas, but you don't have any of the other controls. Uh, it's not just phones, TVs, and cars. It's, there's electronic circuits and everything, and depending on the severity, you can fry every bit of it. Right, but you could survive if your gas range doesn't use the mechanized starting feature. You can use a lighter... You can use fire to cook with. There are a lot. I guess what I'm saying is it's going to be so very inconvenient. But it is not necessarily going to be fatal. Okay. It'll be miserable. Sure, it'll be miserable. It's going to be hot in the summer and cold in the winter. And it's not going to be a fun time to be alive. Very much like the Pioneer Days weren't. It will be very reminiscent of the pioneer days, do you think? Yeah, it would probably, that's probably pretty accurate. And what's funny is I see some of these people on the interwebs you show me, and they're, they look like they're from the 1800s, but they're shooting with an iPhone 99 Max or something. And <laughs> I'm wondering how they're going to relate when their clothes get dirty and they actually have to put their hands in the dirt. And, you know. Not just take a picture standing beside it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So, if you've been worried about a nuclear attack because we shot down a balloon, it is our opinion that you can quit worrying. And it would have probably already happened by now. Them things pretty quick. <laughs> True. And if you're worried about an EMP attack because of the balloons, that's a realistic concern. But rather than panic over it, why not prepare Have food in jars that you don't have to rely on that deep freezer for. Deep freezer was never meant for long-term storage. It was meant for keeping things less than 365 days. It was meant for keeping things until you were ready to process them and put them in jars, which is what we primarily use our freezers for. That's right. So, if you have a freezer full of meat, go ahead right now, before an EMP happens, pull that meat out, start cubing it up, and canning it. Obviously, you have to thaw it first. If you're not part of our Compound Club, we offer a canning course. You can buy it a la carte as just the canning course, or you can join the Compound Club, and it's included. Canning is not hard. Anybody can do it. All you need is a canner, jars, lids, and the product that you want to put into the jars. You can start right now to prepare for the day when maybe that happens. But even if it doesn't, you're going to be so happy that you can walk in your pantry and pull out a jar of already fully cooked food, bring it to your kitchen, and use it to prepare a meal with in less than half the time that it would take otherwise. <laughs> Much less than half the time. My favorite canned things are the meat and the potatoes. What about you? Yep, I canned some meat yesterday. Actually. Yeah, it's the handiest thing ever. So even if you're not doing it from a preparedness standpoint, do it from a common sense, easier homemaking standpoint. But don't worry about the nuclear attack. And prepare, don't panic about the other, the EMP. That's right. Next up on the agenda. Next up on the agenda is the chicken feed fiasco of 2023. It recently circulated on social media that the government was messing with their chicken feed so that our chickens would quit laying eggs and we would be more government-reliant than self-sufficient. Well, is there any truth to that? Do you think there's any truth to that? I wouldn't put anything past our government, but I didn't think chicken feed would be high up on the agenda, but maybe. I just feel like, number one, 
that's a lot of mouths to keep shut if they are conspiring in the government to do that. I feel like it's more likely to be corporate greed. Oh, that's proven with the poison dog food, you know, 20 years ago. It killed a bunch of animals. It's interesting that you bring up the dog feed. You had a dog that got poisoned by a brand of dog food, and he actually died. But you were just looking into that because we were trying to research a little bit and do our homework to find out if that feed was also made by Purina, who is the company that currently stands accused of allowing the government to mess with chicken feed to keep them from laying eggs. That company was owned by Mars. But when you were doing the research, it also said that that same protein, which was poisoned by China, (laughs) was added to farm animal feed and fish feed and fish food during that same time period. And it resulted in protein poisoning, which ultimately killed the dogs and cats. I don't know that Mars owns Purina. However, I would be interested in knowing if there's a relationship there. That's something you guys can do your own research on and figure it out. Because I think it's corporate greed and not the government. I think that they are doing two things. I think it's twofold. I think they probably altered their formulary because it's cheaper to make less protein food. And that would impact laying. But it's my opinion that it comes down to corporate greed, not the government. That's more likely. More likely accurate. And there was also, it was brought up, people are even trying to tie this to Epstein. He's dead. They're still tying it to Epstein somehow. I just think those are reaches. Whereas corporate greed is not that big of a reach. No, that's pretty obvious. Corporations have always been looking out for number one and adjusting formularies for various things, from everything from our medications that we take as humans to the feed we feed our animals. Yep. So my thought is that they adjusted their formulary and that has something to do with it. But here's the other thing. What should you not exclusively be feeding your animals? Stuff from a factory. Right. You should never, ever, only be feeding your chickens bag feed. In fact... Lord, who can afford that? That doesn't even make up half of what we feed our chickens. And they'll pass right over it to get to what we give most of. Right. We feed our chickens carcasses from meat that we've taken um, when we're doing the processing... We give them the meat, raw scraps. They, they're raw fed chickens. If we're, we have leftover meat that we cooked, they get it. Anything that comes from our table that's not toxic to chickens goes to the chickens. To the chickens. The majority of our hen's diet is made of scraps, whether it's from the garden during the summer. Or from our taber, table, taber, table all winter long. Yeah, I just ran into several bags of old ugly tomatoes that you just froze last year um, just to give to them. Yeah. Whenever we have, like for instance, um, blossom and rot was a big problem. Well, they were ugly, but there, there was a lot of them and, you know, half or more of the tomato looked good, but I wasn't slicing it and eating it. Right. Blossom and rot was a big problem last year because dog days set in wet. But that doesn't mean the chickens can't enjoy those tomatoes. No, they're as ugly as can be, but they like them. And we do that with everything. For instance, when we take a deer, the neck of a deer is generally so gristly, it's not worth cooking and trying to eat yourself because you have to dig around so much to get around the gristle. But the chickens... Oh, they pick it to death. They love it. They love it. They love all of it. Anything that you're trimming meat from, give it to the chickens when you're done trimming it. There's always a little bit of meat left on there, and they need that protein. We also refeed 
eggs sometimes if we have just like a, if we're full glut in with eggs and we have no way to eat as many as they're making, we'll refeed them some eggs. Don't be throwing my eggs back out yonder for me. Well, they just turn into more eggs. Okay. But you should never just be feeding your chickens what comes out of the bag. Chickens love everything. When we are uh, filleting trout, after we get the fillets off of it, the chickens get the rest. They'll pick the snot out of the guts and uh, the heads and all that, and it's so good for them. They love it. Yeah, they do. So don't just give your chickens what comes out of the bag. That is, in my opinion, the majority of what's happening, is that chickens are getting too much crap that's made in a factory and not enough of what they're meant to eat. There's some things they can't have, though. Sure, there are some toxic things that they shouldn't have, like coffee, chocolate, avocados, citrus, and a few other things. But you can research what's actually toxic to chickens. Potatoes. Green potatoes is one. Um, other than that, if it's on your table and you've eaten it and it's not toxic, when you're done eating, if there's scrap left over, and you're not going to eat that again as leftovers, feed it to your chickens. But don't go dump a bunch of scraps out there for a handful of chickens. You have to portion it out, because they're not going to or want to get it all, and it can't just be a, a right. pile in your coop. That's nasty. Right. Not everybody has 500 chickens. But, you know, say you have five chickens. You know what to eat? Go back and give them some more land. Go back and just give them a small amount, and then if you need to, you can freeze it and bring it back out. We do that all the time. Um, especially when, during deer season when we have 12 or 15 deer. We're not going to give them 12 or 15 deer in the same week. That's too much. Treat. We don't want it every day. Right. So we're reasonable. We divide it up. We divide it into daily or weekly portions, and then we give it to them. And you should do the same things. And you can do that with your scraps. Now, the person who sounded the bell... <laughs> on the government messing with chicken feed, had only had hens for five years. Her hens were five years old, and they had been, had a lot on them through the winter. Forcing, forcing for, eggs. Forcing eggs through the winter. Hmm. So when they stopped laying in September, she thought it was because of their feed. I would have thought it was because I was messing with their regular cycles. That's just me. Right. So she sounded the alarm on that, and then she said, I changed their feed, and now they're laying again. And this was in late January. Two things had happened. One, at the beginning of them stopping laying, we were headed into the solstice. After they started laying back, we were a month or so out from the solstice. So we're gaining daylight every day. Right. Makes a big difference. Right. Makes a huge difference. The other is we had also had this period of extremely cold, sub-zero temperatures that could have produced cold stress. During the heat of summer and the coldest part of winter, your hens will sometimes stop laying. Last year, when the temperatures capped, I think it was 85 or 90 degrees, where Alexa was up Sprouts and Sprouts in Chicago, she called me panicked because her chickens quit laying. It was heat stress. New chicken owners often don't know these things. That's the reason it's so important that no matter what animal you get, you know somebody who has some actual experience, not just had them for a few years and now they're teaching a class on it. Another thing, how the chickens that stopped laying when she thought they wouldn't, shouldn't, how old were they? How long had they been laying? They had been laying for several weeks pretty routinely, but it got up to over 100 degrees where she was. No, I'm not talking about that. The, the person who said they stopped in September. Oh, September. She had had them for five years. Those same chickens have been laying for five years around the calendar because of that light? Yeah. They didn't run out. 
That's right. Chickens are just like humans. They're born with a set number of eggs. And when they run out, they're out. They put the chickens into menopause. That's exactly what it is. You put them into early menopause when you do that. <laughs> Give them chickens a wide berth, fellas. Just trust me on that. <laughs> but regardless, suffice it to say, I really believe that this chicken feed fiasco is a corporate greed issue this corporation may want your chickens not to lay as much because they're going to roll out 300 more, 300 million more eggs this year and they need their eggs to sell. And in order to do that, you can't have as many eggs in your backyard. But the best way to beat that is not just to switch brands of feed, but to quit feeding factory made feed as much as you feed a good whole diet to your chickens that involves raw proteins, or even cooked proteins from your table. Right. And, you know, this is like last year, we talked about ugly tomatoes. We'd have pepper odds and ends or this and that. They love hot peppers. Yeah. They love them. And people throw that stuff away and don't realize that chicken out there would come scratch you for that. Yeah. And we also have, um, you know, a ton of just garden scraps or and I don't mean you can't feed your nightshades leaves and stuff to your hens obviously that's toxic but what about that wormy cabbage yeah they would love that has the worms and the cabbage yeah or what about those squash that got a little bit of blossoming rot or got too big and they're too seedy now for you to eat them or you're a new gardener and you plant too many zucchinis right. <laughs> you're overrun with zucchinis right. you don't mind if the chickens buy some of them right or you're a new gardener and you don't realize that zucchini are prolific and you now have 65 bushels sitting around and nowhere for them to go your chickens are gonna love those slice them up freeze them give them to them all through the winter they love them it's just a matter of understanding that yes your chickens do need some of the stuff that's in that bag but they also need a lot of things that come from outside that bag. Even if it's making sure that you're digging up, you know, weeds and throwing to They love weeds. When we get dandelions out of the garden. Yeah, they love them. They love dandelions. When we pluck them suckers out of the garden, they go straight into the pen with the chickens. Um, and getting back to the zucchini, the squash and the zucchini is a dewormer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Squash and zucchini is an excellent dewormer. The other thing, we have a a huge amount of herbs every year because we grow such a huge amount of herbs that we're able to give our chickens some herbs every single week of the year. A lot of people ask if we have them on a regular deworming schedule. Parasites can also be a cause for your chickens not laying. If you're routinely feeding them, Herbs and other things that are natural antiparasitics, this will help prevent that being the cause of your chickens not laying. So, in short, grow plenty in your garden. Give your chickens plenty of scraps. When you go fishing, save them all the guts and the heads off those fish and let them have them. When you go hunting and you're done processing everything you can get off of that deer, and there's bits and scraps left on the ribs and the lower legs and the neck or the head, let them have it. They will love it. Any animal you process, anything that's left over that you would not enjoy eating, pig snouts, pig's feet, pig liver, we don't eat pig liver, anything like that, let your chickens have it. They will love it, but portion it out so it makes sense to the size of the flock that you have. And stop feeding your chickens only what comes out of a bag. And all the church said, Amen. Preach it. Next up on the agenda, I lost 150 followers for us when I answered the question instead of letting you answer it about whether we vaccinate our dogs. Oh, yeah. Doesn't everybody vaccinate their dog? No. 
There are people who absolutely refuse to vaccinate their dogs. They say that it's toxic. Is this because of childhood vaccination issues or coronavirus vaccination? Or what? I don't understand. I mean, rabies is a real thing, folks. <laughs> rabies is a real thing. And we have actually known someone who had to have the course of rabies vaccines, a human yeah, usually when I say someone, I mean a human, folks. <laughs> um, in my line of former line of work, it wasn't all that rare. Somebody had to go get rabies shots. Right. And it's here's the thing. You can either get your dog vaccinated or you can run the risk of yourself having to be loaded down with these potentially harmful rabies vaccines for humans. It's one or the other, and we're not eating our dogs, guys, and we're not milking them either. I love my dogs. I want them to be healthy, and I don't want to risk them getting rabies. But more than that, I don't want to risk me getting rabies. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, and I'm not talking about uh, humans again, but, you know, when an animal gets rabies, there is no cure. That animal is eventually either going to die or must be put down by, uh, you know, a human. There's no cure for rabies. Humans don't survive rabies either. That's what I was thinking, but I'm not a doctor. But animals, don't, you don't survive rabies, period. Once you got it. Right. I'm very sorry. <laughs> right. There's nothing that can be done for rabies except prevent it. Yeah. And so we have both pet dogs that live inside and we have working dogs. Our working dogs are routinely exposed to wildlife. There is no way that we would ever not vaccinate those dogs. And then the reason we vaccinate our inside dogs, two, threefold. One, they are also exposed to the working dogs. Two, they are nearer to us than if they were exposed and contracted it. We would be exposed and third, it's just not worth the risk to human life to not vaccinate your dogs. Uh, did I let you answer why, why, why are they against it? I'm not even sure. Some people have said they're against it because of the cost. That annual visit to the vet and the price of the shot. Well, I'm kind of with them on that, but there are other avenues. But, yeah, vets can be expensive. Some, you know, you walk in, you think you're at the Beverly Hills Taj Mahal, the prices are charging, and others not so much. But there are other alternatives for vaccinations. Vaccinations are different than an annual checkup or they're doing this or they're acting like that. Vaccinations are a shot. Right, and that's important to say you can choose your vet. The most important thing I would say is pets are a luxury. They are not a requirement. And if you can't afford the minimum vetting, you shouldn't have a pet. You can get vaccinations from clinics, um, pop-up clinics. They come to, for instance, Tractor's Flower, Rural King. Um, they even sometimes come to, like, your local pharmacies parking lots and pop up and rabies vaccine is what ten dollars something like that yeah and you can also get i think the last time i looked i've never had to do it this way but the last time i saw that advertised i think you could get a rabies vaccine the distemper parvo and whatever the other one is and get your animal chipped for 55 dollars all three Last I saw it was a lot less than that, but and it did include the chip. Yeah, and there are other avenues for having your animals spayed and neutered as well. All over the country, not just here. Uh, locally, we have a clinic um, over in Washington County, and that clinic spays and neuters for under $100. It's very reasonable. Right. So always check out your options. You can always put in a little effort and find one of these vaccine clinics for your pets if you truly cannot afford to go to the vet. But also, before you make that investment 
and that commitment to your pet, make sure that you have the needed resources to provide a healthy life for it. I'm going to back it up a little bit. These people are probably on iPhones and other things. I doubt that that's really what's keeping them from getting a vaccination for their pets. What's the real reason? Selfishness. Selfishness, (laughs) If I I spend that $150 on the annual visit for my pet, that's $150 I don't have to spend on things I want. Okay. I thought there would probably be some kind of conspiracy behind it. Oh, well, I think that there are people who do believe that rabies vaccine shed and that we are somehow harmed by them ourselves. Huh. I have... No comments on that. <laughs> I, just, I just, you know, when you talk, thou shalt not vaccine, whether it's people or animals, it, it's usually got at least one or two good conspiracy theories behind it. That's kind of weak. Well, there are. I just don't know them because I don't tend to subscribe to pet vaccine conspiracy theories. Well, we're going to search that up, pet vaccine Conspiracy theories. We'll have to do another podcast on that. You'll have to type all that in. I can't spell those big words. (laughs) So the other thing that I've seen is people are very up in the air. And this was last spring, summer, and fall. They were very up in the air and upset because of the, quote, helicopters spraying for rabies. I want to clear this up. Helicopters are not spraying for, for rabies. DWR has helicopters and they do go up and they do drop rabies vaccine bait. And while and they usually do it deep in the forest, right? Oh yeah, they're not dropping it in neighborhoods or on playgrounds or at the supermarket. It's out in the woods where animals will be and it's a small dose. Uh, if they find more than one and eat 10 a day, which would be rare, it won't hurt them, but it does inoculate them for rabies. And, you know, that's a bad, bad disease. And wildlife are your most likely exposure. Yeah. Your pets are your less likely exposure unless they have been exposed to wildlife. And, you know, rabies makes animals aggressive. So they may come out of their natural habitat if they have rabies into the neighborhoods, into the playgrounds, you know, that kind of thing. And you hear that. Uh, but you have to stop it where it is. You, you're not dropping it in people's yards. Right. And they're not spraying. They're dropping Absolutely bait. not spraying. No, that's not effective or efficient. So speaking of spraying, there are a lot of people who believe that every airplane that flies over you is dumping a chemtrail. We know that's not true because Mark has experience as a pilot and he has never dumped a chemtrail anywhere, have you? No, I've never seen the button to do that. (laughs) Chemtrails probably do exist, but it's not every plane that flies over you. And certainly it is not the DWR who are dropping the pellets to vaccinate wildlife against rabies. Doing that at a low-flying aircraft or helicopters and just dropping pellets or not spraying you. Right. So... Don't be panicked over them dropping the rabies baits out deep in your woods or flying over you. And keep in mind that literally not every airplane that flies over you is dumping a chemtrail. And sometimes I see people post pictures of what they're calling chemtrails that are actually not. So I'll let Mark, who can explain a little bit to you, explain what could be happening in some of these pictures. What's actually coming out of that plane? Hot exhaust in very cold atmosphere. It's cold as can be up there. And that's jet fuel being burned. I'd say it's got some temperature to it. Right. So it's leaving a vapor trail. Yeah. And not all of those vapor trails are boron or chemicals that are being... So you're saying not all of them, you're saying some of them are? That's what you said. I have never seen that button on an aircraft. That's a standard answer. I'm just saying, 
your sentence was not everything up there is shooting out a chemtrail. So does that mean some are? I do think that chemtrails are real in some circumstances. I do think that our government does practice weather manipulation. My cousin was part of that team during the Vietnam and Korea eras. Okay. That's interesting. I thought you meant something kind of conspiracy about, I don't know, rabies vaccines and 5Gs and chicken feed or something. 5Gs are for another day. We cannot talk about 5Gs. That is classified. All right. But to allay people's fears, every airplane that flies over you is not dumping chemicals onto you. And every aircraft that flies over you is not manipulating the weather. There are some that are just passenger aircraft that are flying at high altitudes that just have a vapor trail from the heat from their exhaust. They're that interested in it. Get a really good set of binoculars. You'll be able to tell what airline it is. Then look it up on a flight tracker and say, well, yeah, that's some folks going from Cleveland down to Miami. I mean, it's not really all that hard. People just want to make an observation that casually gets passed along. And it's you can, you can see an aircraft tail usually with a good set of binoculars. Right. And in my personal knowledge and experience, Military aircrafts and military and government agencies are the ones who would be practicing weather manipulation if anyone is. Delta's not doing that. I'd say you're probably right on that. So be put at ease. They're not spraying for rabies. And be put at ease that everything that flies over you is not manipulating your weather. I don't know, I was at ease, and then you said not everything flying over you is putting out a chemtrail, not everything's bad and boron and this and that. I was at ease till you said that. Now I'm thinking, well, mathematically, that means there's some are. Some are. Okay, I'll have to do some research. I'm going to be able to sleep tonight, I guess. You're going to be all right. Are you worried about it? Tore up. Can you guys tell? Listen, some of the things that are said on the Internet are not real, and some are. At the end of the day, prepare, don't panic. Do your best, and trust God for the rest. And feed your scraps to the chickens. And feed your scraps to the chickens, and vaccinate your dogs. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) We will catch you on the next episode of the Appalachian Homestead Podcast. If you keep following us, I figure we'll probably lose a lot over all of these topics. Say goodbye. See you later, Tater. After a while, Crocodile. Thank you for joining us today on the Appalachian Homestead Podcast. You can find us in other places on Instagram, at sign the Appalachian Homestead, On YouTube, type into the search bar, the at sign, the Appalachian Homestead, or you'll find some other Appalachian YouTuber. Or you can go to our website, AppalachianHomestead.org.